understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. 20 years ago to the day, people woke up as if it was any other day. Because for right now, this very moment, if only for a short while, it was just any other regular day. They woke up, they got out of bed, they made breakfast, hugged and kissed their spouse and children, perhaps got a cup of coffee to help them along with their day. And they went in with their regular daily activities, if you will. People said goodbye to their loved ones, unbeknownst to them, for the very last time. And I always hear people say, you know, what they were doing when John Lennon was murdered or Kennedy was assassinated. And I wasn't around for either of those, but I know exactly what I was doing and where I was when I heard about the terrorist attacks. My dad and I were running errands and driving downtown and we were listening to it from the radio in the car and we were just both absolutely in shock. And it was just, just heartbreaking. Well, September 11th, 2001, unknown to anybody at the time, a deadly, intrusive, and invasive group of terrorists would blend in with the crowds. They would load on into four different planes. And their plan was what nightmares are absolutely made out of. American Airlines Flight 11, United Airlines Flight 175, American Airlines Flight 77, and United Airlines Flight 93, like most planes that day, were filled with people. People who were just going on with their lives. So I have a Facebook page dedicated to 9-11 that I created several years ago, like probably like 14, 15 years ago. I post about the victims, not how they died, but how they were as they all had ambitions and dreams and goals and habits and stories before they unwillingly became pawns in a terrorist attack against the United States. One such woman, her story, like many others, have stuck with me. She had never been on an airplane before, ever. In fact, she was straight up terrified to get on one. It was one of her biggest fears, if you will. And with the courage she gradually built up throughout the years, and with a little loving nudge from friends and family, she was about to take her first plane ride on a vacation a vacation that was extremely well-deserved. She needed this. It was going to happen. She was about to step foot on a plane for the very first time. September 11th, 2001 was that fateful day, the day she would ride a plane for the first and for the last time. She wanted to see what everyone was talking about. Were her fears exaggerated? I mean, so many people, countless upon countless of people, every single day fly on airplanes. They get to point A to point B and even more. And they live to see another day. Unfortunately, she would never make it to her vacation. 
It seems like in her case, the danger was very real and the fear was indeed not exaggerated, not by an ounce. <sighs> September 11th, 2001, at 8.46 Eastern Time, American Airlines Flight 11, the first plane, flies directly and intentionally into the World Trade Center's North Tower. Flight 11 would never make its descent into Los Angeles. 92 people die on that plane, including creator of the TV show, Frasier, David Angel, and so many other people, every single person. It just, it just kills me. And once it hit the North Tower, it would take at least a whopping 1,402 people down with it. And this is not only with the plane, but in the building and on the ground as well. Now, before the world became aware of what was about to happen, trouble was in the air and communication was being made. Panicked travelers were starting to make desperate phone calls to their loved ones. They didn't know how serious this was. They didn't know what was about to take place and that they would forever be part of this whole huge thing. People, they're trying to send signals that they are indeed under attack. Some of the flight attendants got through to American Airlines and was communicating with them that the hijackers had stabbed two female flight attendants and slashed a man's throat, a passenger's throat. One of those flight attendants was Betty Ong. She is credited for being the very first person to alert the authorities that a terrorist attack was occurring high up in the sky that day. Okay, my name is Betty Ong. I'm number three on flight 11. Our number one just got stabbed. Nobody knows who stabbed who, and we can't even get up to business class right now because nobody can breathe, and we can't get to the cockpit. The door won't open. So when I hear things like this, when I read things like this, I have asthma. And so I sympathize with these people, whether it's a respiratory issue like mine, or if it's because of smoke or what, I, I feel for those people like you can't breathe. That's like the worst feeling in the world. There's times where I'm gasping for air and it's absolutely excruciating. Give me a headache. Give me a throbbing toe. Give me something. But I need to breathe. That's hard. That's rough. And so you're, we're seeing these accounts of the, this sort of thing happening, and it's just absolutely heartbreaking. So traveling at 465 miles per hour and carrying close to around 10,000 gallons of jet fuel, this loaded weapon hits the North Tower hard and unforgiving. A man on the 106th floor, Peter, receives an email from a friend asking to respond if he's okay. Then, two minutes later, he responds. There's a lot of smoke. The friend responds back. Are they telling you what to do? Peter responds saying, no, basically it's a whole mess. The friend asks if they're still in the building, and he replies saying, yes, can't move. Peter's supervisor messages him asking if he's okay. Peter lets his supervisor know that the room is getting extremely smoky. And when asked again if they're giving any instructions on what to do in this situation, he replies saying, no, we are stuck in an office with a lot of smoke and everybody's worried. Smoke is filling up the room. This is the last message he will send. 
He will also send a message earlier to his sister telling her, I'm scared. There is a lot of smoke. One video that I happened to see was from a young woman who was staying in a nearby hotel and she's recording the city around here when suddenly her camera captures a plane that's extremely low, way too low to be somewhere like in Manhattan. And you watch this plane hit and you know what's about to happen. Even with preparing yourself, it still hurts. You still get goosebumps and shiver and wince and you know it's going down, but oh God, you still feel the heartbreak, the destruction, murder. But that day, this video, that girl, she's about to see something that nobody has seen yet. And it's going to stay with her, I imagine, for the rest of her life. You hear her scream in a panic. What did she just see? What the hell just happened? That plane aimed for the World Trade Center and went directly into it. This has to be a nightmare. Surely I'm sleeping. To eyewitnesses on the ground, it possibly seems like the plane is in distress and would have to make an emergency landing. In that case, they usually would head to the Hudson. FDNY Lieutenant William Walsh describes the moment of impact. He looked like he was going down, but we didn't hear any mechanical difficulty. We couldn't figure out why an American Airlines plane would be so low in downtown Manhattan. We sort of expected him to veer off and into the Hudson. But he just rose a little bit, his altitude leveled off, and he was headed straight for the Trade Center. So just before he got to the Trade Center, it seems as though he gained power. We were just watching this airplane target for the WTC. All of a sudden, boom, he disappears into the Trade Center. This left most of the stairwells unusable. The elevators were an inferno. Many died on impact, while others fought for their lives, trying to escape the World Trade Center turned prison. So at this point, the nation is seeing this for the very first time. It's unfolding on TV for them. Most of us are thinking this has to be an accident. I mean, what else could this be? It's an emergency landing gone horrifically wrong. And, and I say horrifically, I mean, oh my God, it couldn't have gotten more worse than this, right? Hard for us to tell um, from the picture we're seeing just uh, how far down from the top that plane crashed. Um, have you any better eyesight to it um, from your vantage point? Not really. All I know is it definitely wasn't the top, top of the building because that seems to be intact from what I saw. Little did we know that as our eyes are glued to the TV or ears to the radio and hearing the news and watching the coverage that at 9.03, just a short 17 minutes after the first plane hit, another low-flying plane presents itself and to millions of people's horror. It, too, is aimed straight for the World Trade Center. United Airlines Flight 175, like Flight 11, was en route to Los Angeles. In order to get control of the Boeing, both pilots are killed and several flight attendants, well, they're stabbed. As chaos presents itself once again in the air, like Flight 11, people start to make those desperate phone calls to loved ones and authorities. They almost hit another plane as Delta Airlines Flight 2315 is in sight. The people on Delta 
live to see another day as they are just 300 feet away from missing one another. What they did not know on Delta was that the plane was told to turn around, but instead they took aim for the unsuspecting Delta. A supervisor for the New York Air Traffic Control Center reports this. We're counting down the altitudes and they were descending right at the end at 10,000 feet per minute. That is absolutely unheard of for a commercial jet. A passenger tries reaching his wife on the phone several times. He's unfortunately unsuccessful. He is able to thankfully reach his mother, who he tells that the plane is under attack and that passengers are actually considering to storm the cockpit and rush those attackers. He then has to end the call quickly and abruptly. One of the youngest victims, a little girl that's only two years young, is on the doomed flight. The father of the child makes a phone call to his father. They seem to have knives and mace. They said they have a bomb. It's getting very bad in the plane. Passengers are throwing up and getting sick. The plane is making jerky movements. I don't think the pilot is flying the plane. I think we're going down. I think they intend to go to Chicago or someplace and fly into a building. Don't worry, Dad. If it happens, it'll be very fast. Uh... How heartbreaking is that? I can't even imagine. His dad then hears his son yell, Oh my God, oh my God, several times, followed by a woman screaming. And I can't imagine having to make that phone call or receiving that phone call. I It just gives me chills. It just is so incredibly heartbreaking. They make impact on Tower 2, the South Tower, and in less than an hour, the towers will collapse. So you have no idea right, right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> right? oh. oh, my God. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Flew right into the middle of it. Explosion. My God, it's right in the middle of the building. This one into the east tower. Yes. So it's really hard to watch that. It's it's really hard to watch that as a nation. I mean, different countries, we all came together and we were watching this. And it's like, whether you're far away or close, you're a human being and it affects you, you know, and it affected more people in different ways, obviously, if you were like straight up right there. But I was in Colorado when this happened and the the fear and terror and heartbreak it's still there and you you just see those planes go in and you just you think of those people that are being used as a weapon at that point and the people that are all around and just and then those people all have family members and it's just it's so heartbreaking and so american airlines flight 77 is also on its way to los angeles so three out of the four planes were on their way to the same place the other in San Francisco. So in about a half hour into the flight, the hijackers stormed the cockpit. One of the terrorists was an actual pilot and he takes control of this flight. Once again, people, they're making phone calls and suddenly the plane hits the Pentagon. I was cutting the grass and it came in screaming over my head. I felt the impact. The whole ground shook and the whole area was on fire. I could have never imagined that I would see anything like that here. That was from a gentleman, obviously, who witnessed this happen. And I can't even imagine. And then Lieutenant Commander David Tarantino describes his eerie surroundings at the Pentagon. 
in this area, it's so hot that the debris is melting and dripping off the ceiling onto your skin, and it would sear your skin and melt your uniform. We went a little further, turned a corner, and came into this bombed-out office space that was roaring inferno of destruction and smoke and flames and intense heat you could feel searing your face. So 189 people were killed, five of whom remain unidentified. 59 of those victims were on that plane. Time ago, saw the tail end of a large airliner plunge into the Pentagon. United Airlines Flight 93 is on the way to San Francisco, and yet again, a coward hijacker who is specifically trained to be a pilot takes control of the plane. Now, this plane will be the only one out of the four that did not make it to its desired target, and which we don't know 100% of where that actually was, but it's speculated that it could have been the uh, Camp David or the Capitol building. They were on their way somewhere, and they didn't make it. By this point, flights 11, 175, and 77 have gone down. And people on the plane are kind of aware of this, actually. Unlike the others, they knew because communication, people were telling them, saying, hey, this is worse than you guys think. You know, other people, you know, it's not good. It's not just like some rogue dude or whatever. I mean, and of course, that would be terrifying, too. But it's so they're kind of aware of exactly what's happening. They basically know that they're they're fucked. And they were going to die fighting hard, making sure that besides them, there would be no more victims claimed. Enough is enough. At 9.28 a.m., the flight makes distress calls where you can clearly hear struggles and panic. It's unintelligible, but they know it's not good. Calling Cleveland Center. You're unreadable. Say again, slowly. It's something out of a horror movie. A nightmare. Employees have rushed the cockpit. You can hear one of them moaning in pain. No more! A woman who is believed to be a flight attendant is crying, begging for her life to be spared, pleading with them, saying, please, please don't hurt me. One pregnant passenger left her husband a message, staying calm, a lot calmer than I would have been, as to not wanting to worry him by saying, there's a little problem with the plane, honey. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I just want to tell you how much I love you. And one woman, a flight attendant, calls her husband, tells him there are three hijackers on the plane, that they got turned around, and that she heard about the World Trade Center attacks. And she hopes to be able to see her husband again. And then she whimpers, and her voice breaks, saying goodbye. And um, I, I actually just listened to it, uh, that recording, for the first time. Uh, about an hour ago and I cried when I heard it. You could just hear the fear and the terror in her voice and it was absolutely just gut-wrenching. And um, it was um, so sad that these people weren't able to get a hold of their loved one. At a 10.03, United Airlines Flight 93 crashes in Shanksville, Pennsylvania and Indian Lake areas. I just saw 
saw the smoke come up and uh, the, the uh, explosion shook the house clear over here. 2,977 people died that day. And this obviously does not include the terrorists. They do not belong. They're not worthy to mention a single one of their names. 2,977 innocent people died that day. Men, women, children, babies, the unborn, aunts and uncles, moms and dads, husbands and wives, cousins, best friends, significant others, grandparents, girlfriends, boyfriends, that fun, crazy, loving uncle that has so many fun stories to share. First responders, heroes, just so many lives were lost 20 years ago today. What could have been was violently taken away. And that number continues to grow to this very day as people are dying from 9-11 related illnesses, from working or being in close proximity to ground zero. Well over 90 countries lost people that horrible day, including the United Kingdom, Italy, Mexico, Bangladesh, India, Greece, Canada, Australia, Ecuador, Japan, Colombia, Pakistan, Germany, and Ireland. I have listeners from every single one of those countries, and that was just a tiny handful of them. To this day, many are still missing, never recovered, discovered, located, or identified. Once in a while, an article will surface that they discover more remains and people are getting their names back, their family members are getting answers, and the deceased have their identities back. In one case back in 2013, remains that were found just a few months after September 11th, 2001, they were retested recently and identified as those of a hero firefighter, Lieutenant Jeffrey Walsh. And more recently, just a few days ago, in fact, I saw in the news that two more people got their names back. This will be the identities of the 1,646th and 47th people. This still sadly leaves around 1,330 people unidentified. Today, the attacks of September 11th remain the largest terrorist attack in the United States. And again, it continues to claim victims. The number would have been even higher if it weren't for the heroes that day, the heroes of Flight 93, the only flight not hitting its target. Then, of course, the firefighters, the police officers, the EMTs, the brave citizens. One that really gets to me. So if you know me through social media, I'm huge into 9-11 victims. I, you know, there's been a time where I made bracelets and I still want to start that up again. I, you know, I throw their obituaries and memorials on my page. I do, you know, stories and a bunch of stuff. One story that really got to me was of a Port Authority police officer named Christopher Amoroso. And I usually have, uh, even if you go on there right now and look on my Facebook page, you'll see that that's my, my picture, my cover picture. 
my profile picture, whatever you want to call it. If you Google Christopher Amoroso, if you go online and look him up, a picture will surface. This picture speaks a million freaking words. To the left is a man with a white dress shirt and a salmon pink tie, and he's holding the hand of a distraught woman in a black dress. Her arm is draped over a police officer. His face is red and bruised. And you could just tell this man has been through the works. He's, he's, he's in a battle for his life. This picture speaks absolute volumes. Christopher Amoroso runs into the tower to, into the tower two several times, taking loads of people out every single time. This is the last picture taken of Officer Amoroso. He goes into the burning tower one, for the final time, and he will not make it out alive. I actually found an article just recently about this picture. His widow, Jamie, said she often wondered who this woman in the picture was, if she ever survived 9-11. Now, of course, we all know that this woman was able to get out of the World Trade Center because of the heroic duties of her husband, the heroic actions that her husband took to get her and so many other people out. But it's just that one picture speaks a million words. But did she get out from when those towers collapsed? As we know, so many people were claimed from that. They survived to get out of the towers, but, you know, people did not get out when the towers fell. So did this woman survive? Nobody really knew her identity or anything. Well, Almost 20 years after the attack, she got her answer. A man actually comes forward after 20 years, and he says, That woman seen helping in this photo is my mother, Suman Damija. My mother has severe asthma, so after running down the stairs of the second tower, and with all the debris and smoke in the air, she could not breathe. Officer Amorosa helped lift her up and walk away from the towers. This photo was taken before the second tower collapsed. So Christopher's widow, Jamie, and Suman, the woman in that picture, after almost 20 years, got to meet via video call. Jamie says to the woman that she has probably seen her face so many times, countless times, just staring at that picture and that she looks identical. She hasn't changed or aged a bit that if she saw her walking on the street today, she would know exactly who she was. And so Jamie asks Suman if her husband was scared in which she responds, he wasn't scared, but I was scared. This was one life saved, one out of several that are still around living and breathing because of Chris Amoroso. Many others were saved by Chris and so many other heroes, so many brave men and women. If you're interested in reading about the victims, not how they died, but how they lived, find Remembering 9-11 on Facebook. You'll hear about people like FDNY Lieutenant Charles Garbarini. He would actually go to parties and gatherings that he was invited to, obviously, and he would always have a business card. He'd walk in the room and you knew when he was there. This is what his wife says. He had a business card and he would put on it, Charles Garbarini. You lied him, we fight him. Or how about Marilyn Garcia? She was the prom queen. People loved her. She was popular. She went to John Jay College. She 
She was going to college when she was working hard at Marsha McLennan. She would go to work an hour early every single day so that she could leave to attend school in the afternoons. She was a bright individual. And one of my friends who's a firefighter, he's been a firefighter for several years. One time we had a discussion and there was a picture at the firehouse of the FDNY fire chaplain, Michael Judge. And there's that famous picture of them carrying him out. And I asked, like, did you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, he was a friend of mine. We spent time just the, uh, together the year before he was killed in the terrorist attacks. So that always kind of stuck with me for sure. I just can't even imagine. Then there's Alona Abraham, who just 10 days earlier had come to the United States for the very first time, reporting back to her mother, Mommy, I'm having the best time here. She was leaving that day to go back home with plans to come back to the States over and over again because she had so much fun. Then there's Gertrude Oligaro. She was engaged to be married. Just days before the attack, she was on cloud nine. She was with the love of her life, her fiance. She stopped as they were walking. She put her finger up to his lips and said, Shh, I have something to tell you. I'm the luckiest woman in the world. Father and son, Joseph Angelini, junior and senior, they were both heroic firefighters for FDNY, were killed in action that day. Senior had 40 years on the job and would have kept on going if it weren't for the pathetic scumbag terrorists. While dad had four decades, his son Junior was a firefighter for 11 years. He grew up with a dad for a firefighter. Like, that is so cool. I, he idolized his dad. He loved his dad. He wanted to be like Senior. He loved being a firefighter. He was living the dream. He was helping people and saving people, just like his good old man. And at the Pentagon, Max Belke, he was among the first to be reported missing. He was the last combat soldier to leave Vietnam. He was drafted in the Korean War as well. He was a simple man who was raised on a farm, who loved sports. Michael Horrocks, a first officer on one of the planes, he had a final conversation with his daughter, who was not wanting to get out of bed and go to school. Been there, done that. He told her, I love you to the moon and back. An hour later, he would be killed. There are just so many other stories to tell. Never forgotten. These people, their courage, their bravery, their lives, they will never, ever be forgotten. And if for some tiny chance you're listening and you lost somebody 20 years ago on that day, my heart absolutely goes out to you. I, I can't imagine just, I didn't know anybody who perished in those attacks, but I feel like I did, like my soul hurts. And um, I think about these people, not just around the anniversary, but always just, it really affected me. And I know it affected a lot of people. And so from the bottom of my heart, I am so incredibly sorry that this happened. And I really, truly believe that 
obviously death can take the body, but the soul lives on. And I full heartedly believe that these people are looking over the surviving family and friends and they're just, they're your angels. So please hold that close to your heart that they're still around. So thank you guys and gals for listening to this bonus episode about a day that destroyed so many lives forever and changed countless lives from around the world, including my own. I want to give a shout out to my cousin Bryce Kolb and my boyfriend Justin Dean for doing these voiceovers for me. It was really last minute this morning. September 10th I woke up and I was like I was in bed just like kind of posting on my remembering 9-11 page and I was like wait a second what the hell why didn't I come up with something to read for the 20th anniversary and so I woke up I jutted out of bed and I started you know typing stuff up and I I type every single episode because if I don't, you're going to hear one million uhs and ums and what have you. And so it took me about three hours just writing, writing, writing. And I was like, oh shit, maybe I'll do the voices on my own since I've been doing that for over two years. But I asked my cousin and my boyfriend and they both said, sure, they would help me out. So Bryce and Justin, thank you so much for for helping me out. It is greatly appreciated. Listen to the other episodes on any of the podcast platforms such as Podbean, Player FM, Castbox, Overcast, Spotify, and just so many others. This week's special city shoutouts go to Del Norte, Colorado, Glastonbury, England, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Everett, Washington, and East Point, Georgia. Please be sure to come back in just a day or two. Check out Monday's newest episode. I will see you next week.